And I think that the current way that we take care of patients is very complicated. It's very technical. It, even the simplest of things are made up of very complex concepts that when you work in medicine, when you work in the hospital, it becomes your everyday language and we all understand it and we all speak like everyone understands it. But when you talk with the patient or the family, you think you're saying one thing and they hear something totally different. And so it's not necessarily that you didn't say what you thought you said. It's that oftentimes they didn't hear what you thought you said. Hi, my friend. Welcome back to the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. I am a cardiothoracic surgery PA, a public health practitioner with a background in neuroscience and a peak performance coach. I'm here to empower you, an ambitious healthcare professional with a demanding career, just like me, to become a confident leader who are living fulfilled and purposeful so you can be both a powerhouse in your career and the passionate person in life without feeling overwhelmed, underappreciated, or undervalued. As a bonus, we're hosting an online summit just for you live starting on July 27th to August 1st with 18 experts in our field to give you a recharge in life. All the proceeds will be donated to the Brave of Heart Fund, which supports healthcare professionals and their family who has passed away due to COVID-19. But it is free to join. So hop over to sabrinarumback.com forward slash summit to find out more. You can also see the link in our show note. In the meantime, let's continue our journey for your powerful and passionate life with today's episode. Hi, everyone. This is Sabrina Rambach. Thank you for joining me for another Winning Wednesday. <laughs> All right. So today I have the honor of having Dr. Tom McGillery here with us. And he is a cardiothoracic aortic specialist surgeon, and he has a strong interest and specialty in adult congenital surgery, as well as transplant. And he's currently at Houston Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas. And he actually lived majority of his life in Boston. Yeah. Well, yeah, majority in Houston, but I, uh, I have a home in Boston, right? Right. So um, he uh, graduated from Tufts University and he did his residency in Mass General and fellowship in San Francisco, right? Uh, hospital? I did, I did a research fellowship in San Francisco, mm -hmm. uh, but I did my cardiothoracic, did my general surgery at the Mass General, my CT surgery at the Mass General, and I did congenital heart surgery training at Boston Children's Hospital. Yeah. And I remember uh, reading up that all your surgery and you went into medicine each rotation thinking that could be the field that yeah, I'm going into. That's right. And that seems like a really good mindset. In, instead, I'm just dabbling. I'm really truly devote myself into this one field to get myself a, a whole experience. That's right, Sabrina. I mean, I, did, I, I love medical school. I loved every day of it. Uh, there was so much to learn, and it was focused on trying to make you a great clinician. 
whether it was the basic sciences or the clinical sciences and the rotation, I loved that. And when I went to do, I, I started out thinking I wanted to be a surgeon, but I didn't know for sure because I didn't really have much comparison. My dad had been a surgeon. I used to shadow him. And uh, he was a great doctor, besides being a great surgeon. And much of my experience, or what I thought I wanted to be, was shaped not by him, but because of him. I experienced what he did. I admired what he did. And I thought it was a good way to spend my professional life. But when I went to medical school, I thought I would try to go into the rotations and see what each was like and to not, as best I could, not have any biases or opinions and approach it such that when I was in pediatrics, well, I want to learn as much as I can. I want to do whatever I can because maybe I would like this rotation so much that I want to be a pediatrician or a psychiatrist or, or every rotation that I took. And I think it served me well. I learned a lot. And even though I'm not a pediatrician or I'm not a psychiatrist, I do think that some of the things that I learned and the experiences that I have had have made me a better doctor and a better surgeon, make a better person. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure if you actually check yourself out on reviews online. So you actually have really good reviews. On Google, there's five stars, vitals. There, uh, I think it was 4.3. So in general, people's comments about you Exactly what you're saying is that they see you not just a surgeon, it's more that you actually care to know the person itself, and then that you're trying to make that connection with them. Mm, that's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, part of our session today is the with a goal of honoring our achievements. And then thinking about what do we want to focus in, in life as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so then we can build new goals, set of things that we can potentially, you know, unfortunately not, not have looked into in life. Mm -hmm. So growing as a holistic person and finding your true balance and reduce stress. Awesome. So let's start today's interview. Okay. Nice having you here. Oh, great. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So I know that Dr. McGillery also worked in Harvard and Mass General for many years, training mm -hmm. residents. And then before he landed in Houston, something I read about you was that you good friends with Dr. Robbins, who used to be the Texas Medical Center's formal president and CEO. And from that friendship led you into just exploring this place in Houston you've never been. And mm -hmm. then you really found that connection, especially with your adult congenital interest with Dr. Huey Lynn and connecting with Dr. Lumsden from vascular surgery. So how in your whole life journey, have you felt that one pivotal moment that you really fell in love with cardiac surgery? Well, um, there's a lot in that question. I would be presumptuous to say that uh, Bobby Robbins is a, a good friend of mine. I, Bobby is, I think, one of the great people in medicine today or in academics today. And he was somebody that I admired very much throughout my professional life and got to know, and he's a very easy person to get to know. Despite all of his great and many accomplishments, he's a very genuine, real, and personable guy. And uh, so he called me one day out of the blue and asked me to come down to take a look at Houston Methodist. And I, I never really had given it much thought beforehand, but out of, out of respect and friendship for Bobby, I came down and I was blown away by what I saw and that what he, the, the vision that he helped me see is one that I have come to see as being 
real and have developed many new friendships, many new professional relationships. You mentioned Huey Lin, who is who I work with very closely in the adult congenital heart disease arena. He runs the cardiology side of the adult congenital heart disease program, and he is passionate about it. And we have a growing program that helps us treat a really unmet need in many parts of the country of patients with adult congenital heart disease. It's funny you talk about falling in love with cardiac surgery. I said I, um, when I went through medical school, I had an open mind about everything that I wanted to do uh, or what I might want to do, approached every rotation with the idea that maybe I would do that. I would say the exception to that was cardiac surgery. I had absolutely no interest in becoming a cardiac surgeon. And that was mostly out of uh, ignorance. When I was a medical student, we didn't really have that much exposure to it. It was a very... In those days, uh, heart surgery was a very high-profile specialty in medicine, and uh, the patients were really sick. They had big operations. Many of the cardiac surgeons in those days were big personalities, uh, not only in the hospital, but, but around town and cities in the country. I found that to be a little bit off-putting. But when I was a resident, and we in those days, we spent a lot of time rotating through cardiac surgery. I would say that my that I fell in love with it then. It was everything that I really liked about being a doctor and being a surgeon. Patients were really sick. You could get them really well by not just the surgery that you did, but the care that you gave them. And it was very gratifying to watch somebody and to help somebody who came to you who really needed medical help and you could give it to them and, and you could make a big difference. In not only their life, but the life of their family and of their friend. It was great surgery. It was great intensive care. It was great medical care. And so for me, it was everything that I was looking for in, in medicine. And so I, I was fortunate to have that kind of training and experience and opportunity to, to pursue being a cardiac surgeon after that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you saying is that really the hands-on experience, the able to immerse yourself into being transformational for other people's life, that's what draw you into it. And the challenge of having those very sick patients but able to bring them out of there. Plus your own personal side of being able to connect and not thinking, oh, the, the field of cardiac surgery is you need to have a big personality, but you can develop this into your own way. Some people would say I've developed a big personality for, for better or maybe even probably for worse. But, but, you know, one of the great things about medicine as a, a discipline or a profession or a way of life is that it, there's a wide range of what you can do in medicine. There are specialties that are very intense, that are high stress and high stakes. And if you're someone who enjoys that or thrives on that, there's plenty of opportunities for if you're a very cerebral person, there are specialties that would be very suited for that kind of person, or somebody with that kind of skill set. Uh, if you love being around people, whether they're old or young or athletes or people with disabilities, there's a wide range of taking your interests and your skills and your talents and in, in finding it in medicine. You know, I found something that think suits me and that I really love. And I guess part of my journey into medicine 
is that it's important to be open to things and to opportunities that you might at first blush think aren't really for you or not something that you would like or be good at. And I think that if you like something or if you have an interest in something and you put your mind to it, you can, and you devote yourself to it, you can develop a good profession and a good work life by doing it. Yeah. Awesome. It's, the concept of having a gross mindset where you see any opportunity, any struggle as a way of learning. You never said, I could not, but you always said, I can find out how. And then not to say, I don't have the ability, but I have actually ability to solve the problem. Yeah, I think that uh, there's a title of a book that I think is very appropriate. You know, talent is overrated. And, and I think that many of the talented people that I know, certainly in medicine, their talents are based in their willingness to have first being committed to excellence. People that really wanted to take the time and devote their energies to learning and mastering whatever part of medicine they went into. Right. And that's not just doctors. That's doctors and nurses and advanced practice providers. It's it's people who work in the hospital. And that the thing about medicine that I really like more than everything else is the engagement that you have with people, the patients, you know, whether they're people you work with uh, in your field, in your office, people you work with around the hospital, people you run into in the cafeteria. It's a society in and of itself. And you have the people who are in the hospital who take care of people who come from outside of the hospital for particular expertise that exists within the hospital. It makes every day very interesting. Yeah, every day is a new day for us. Um, every day is a new day. Yeah. yeah, and even our patient might stay with us for a few days, a week, or even months mm-hmm. sometimes. But every day is new because we needed to reassess how they are doing, how we're interacting with them. Yeah. Did they improve or regress? So every day is a new day. Every day is, could be a new challenge. Mm-hmm. But the challenge, we can see it as a positivity to allow us to push forward instead of some people might see challenge as something that, how can they do it that might hold them back? And what's good in medicine, yes, because it's such a diversity. And then nowadays, we've been promoting in every single hospital, I care values, all about how do we better connect with our patients? Because at the end of the day, it is a service-based industry. Yeah, absolutely. They are people with choices. And despite how much expert we are in treating one thing, if people couldn't connect with you, it's such a personable act as well. So they can't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it's not just our patients, not just their family, but as a team, how can we gel together so that synergy will provide better care? Yes, I agree. I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm very humbled by anyone that wants me to take care of. And I, I take that as a, I take that responsibility as a sacred trust. And I obviously don't always make the right decisions or do the right thing. Being human, we all make mistakes. But my commitment is to try not to make mistakes. And my commitment is to try to do the right thing, the right thing for them and for their families. And that, as you so nicely put, I mean, it, it, taking care of patients is a team sport. It requires 
requires a whole group of people, individuals working effectively within a team to provide the best care for those patients. You can have some individuals on the team who are really good, very committed, and some people on the team who are not as committed. And it, and it can really be, I think patients are pretty savvy in seeing that and sorting that out. So it's a having a good team dynamic is very important for the best care for patients, I think. Yeah, for sure. Because as our energy, our way of talking, our dynamic, when we walk into the room, talking to the patient where the family is there, you can feel the energy, whether you almost get into an argument about a miscommunication versus people are in tuned with each other and just simply supporting each other, giving messages when we're looking at charts or when we're talking about a treatment plan. So it, it is adding stress when people are unable to have that good communication or when we think we deliver clear communication, but we didn't ask how your opponent received the message, that's when some gap was created. Well, I mean, that's, that is really a very important point that one of the things I've come to appreciate over the time I've been in medicine is you sit and you have a conversation with a patient and their family. And then the next time you see them, it might even be later in the day and you talk with them and it seems like they didn't hear anything that you said. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the current way that we take care of patients is very complicated. It's very technical. It, even the simplest of things are made up of very complex concepts that when you work in medicine, when you work in the hospital, it becomes your everyday language and we all understand it and we all speak like everyone understands it. But when you talk with the patient or the family, you think you're saying one thing and they hear something totally different. And so it's not necessarily that you didn't say what you thought you said. It's that oftentimes they didn't hear what you thought you said. Yes. And so I think that how you communicate is very important. And, and it's not about dumbing down what you say. It's just the opposite. It's trying to become more aware of what the right way to describe, whether it's an illness or whether it's a procedure or what people can expect, such that, because what, what you're trying to do is communicate, trying to get them to understand what you think and what you would recommend for them, whether it's a treatment plan or a procedure or recommendation for a medicine. And if they don't understand what you're saying, they can't possibly knowledgeably follow your advice. Yeah, exactly. And end of the day, we all have a different way of communication because we our personality plays sure. into that part. And also, as Dr. McGillivray said, it could be we're not absorbing people's message because we haven't learned how to actively listen. So if we're just keep talking and talking and not absorbing how you're patients or your team is getting your message and then things just went way over their head. So that creates patient dissatisfaction and could create friction into the team as well. So in that sense, how do you propose when you try to reduce tension in a group setting, how do you propose to do that? Tension in a group setting with a patient or family or with colleagues? or So let's start with the colleagues. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, people that are in healthcare, there's a big diversity in the kinds of people that work in healthcare. And uh, I think that people come from different backgrounds, that there's different 
levels of education, different levels of training. There's different levels of experience. And everybody comes together and you communicate we try to communicate to come up with plans for patients. And I, I think it's like any dynamic when, you, when you're having interactions with other human beings. It's subject to interpretation, sometimes misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. And you how people react to that and how people respond to that can have a big impact on what decisions are made. And it's uh, bad enough when you're talking about things that aren't important in general, specifically in medicine, when you're talking about people who are sick and, and need to have plans made, it can, what hangs in the balance is, I think at least over time, how I thought about things and how I try to communicate with people, or I think I've gotten better at it. I still, I think, have a long way to go. It's funny, we talk about these stereotypes in medicine anyway, and I think that stereotypes are always uh, not totally true, but they're not totally false either. You know, the nature of surgery is that uh, you really have to make decisions. You can't be wishy-washy and and you have to be willing to think very quickly with information that you have at the time and make a definitive decision. And if you're good at that, it helps you be a good cardiac surgeon. The problem with that is it's not a, you know, it's not something that is necessarily thrives on inclusivity. You know, it's not like you're going out asking everybody your opinion and weighing what they think and coming up with a vote. Uh, right. <laughs> and that, uh, at least in my experience, would make it very difficult to manage most the uh, difficult decisions in cardiac surgery. So what might make you a effective cardiac surgeon may not necessarily make you an effective communicator in the team dynamics. And I think it's important for the cardiac surgeons to understand and appreciate that in themselves. But I think it's also important for people in the team who are interacting with cardiac surgeons to be aware of that as well. That can be said for every other member of the team. And if you understand that, if you try to understand how, you know, in order to understand what people are trying to tell you, I think it's uh, helpful to understand what might be their experience, what what's their point of view, and, and understand maybe that how they're trying to communicate and deliver that message may be different from how you might convey or deliver that message to Right. So what I'm hearing is that you want to be open when you're communicating, understand everybody is different, and therefore practice that active listening. When when people are talking, you try to absorb how they're sharing the information, what they're sharing, and be able to know that when you make a decision that's quickly, when it comes out, don't take everything too personal. It's about the decision itself, not really about the people. Yeah, it's a, I guess I want to be very clear. There's a difference between what I think I should do and what I do with those kinds of things. And uh, now I'll probably sort of perpetuate the stereotype. You know, oftentimes people might say, well, you're not listening to what I have to say. I'm listening. I just might not be doing what you (laughs) recommend or say because each decision that you make is an iterative experience in the path of what happens to that patient. And there are many different ways to arrive at a destination, certainly in a patient's journey, but it involves a series of steps yeah. and you have to decide, somebody has to decide which path you're going to follow. Right. And if you, in my opinion, based on my experience, it's important to get everybody's input, 
but input is very valuable. But at some point, someone has to make the decision which path you can follow. Right. In general, and also with specific decisions. Right. Yeah, and I'm. I think communication skills are not just applying to work life, but it's also home. Right. Like uh, when, how we communicate with our partners, with our family, with our friends. It's the same type of active listening, knowing what their personality, how they typical response to things. So we don't come off as being abrupt or not caring what they're saying. Some people are more driven to just the solution itself. So they really want to just to dive in helping instead of some other people just wanted to be heard just to thin so we ha- uh, we are able to give people different type of support yeah right yeah awesome so uh, in a sense of of course the lifestyle of a cardiac surgeon is very stressful because the type of population that we're caring for so how do you in this situation how do you step away to reduce stress on your daily basis or is there a certain type of practice that you do? So, yes, I think that um, certainly in my professional life, it's a serious business. There's a lot of risk, literally, and you deal with life and death decisions and you deal with people who are having to make life and death decisions or, or live by the life and death decisions that I make and other members of my team make. And it's funny, I don't, those, that, aspect of the stressful part of my professional life i don't at least i don't think it gets me all worked up or stressed i I imagine it does and and i do think that when there are a lot of things happening i I do think i become more intense and stern and i think that people misinterpret that as being upset at them whereas it's more of a situation it's it's not me bringing stress to somebody else it's Mm -hmm. just the uh the situation being released when when i'm outside of the hospital there are things that i like to do to try to disconnect myself so I, i like to exercise. I don't get to exercise as much as I would like, or certainly as much as I used to. And a lot of that has to do with just time. And some of the exercises that I do are old-fashioned exercises. Like I used to love to run, but I have a bad knee. And I find that to be, it, it allows me to think about things. And I guess I probably should be thinking about my breathing and not passing out. But it, it's a good time to collect my thoughts. Yeah. Not only about what's happening at work, more often about other things. I also do shooting sports. Uh, and it's the, the funny thing about it is the focus that you have on looking at a target or shooting a uh, clean target is focusing on that allows you to take the focus on some of the stressful things that happen in my work. It, it's very relaxing in that regard. I like, to, I like to read. I like to read history. And it helps uh, in reading about historical figures. Kind of helps me put, at least in my own way, the the world and the world events into into context. Yeah. I like spending time with my family, spending time with my friends, having fun, laughing. Are you the one who initiate the jokes, or other people do? Both. I, so uh, my friends, uh, I enjoy being around people who like to laugh. I like people who like to laugh at my jokes, and I like people that I like to laugh at their jokes. You like and, and they don't even need to be funny. It's just uh, <laughs> they just the idea of being around, having a good time. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, because the happiness is contagious. It's, it's yeah, something that exactly. you can produce that people can sense it, and then you become this whole like circle of energy. Right. Yeah, 
And from what your hobbies are, seems like definitely very connected to most of the practice I learned. It's also doing something that you enjoy, mm-hmm. so then you be more mindful to yourself mm-hmm. and clear, like you're shooting that clay target. Your focus now becomes that clay instead of anything else that's troubling, because our mind actually every day has about sixty to seventy thousand thoughts every day. It's crazy amount. But majority of that is actually from the day before, and that's even crazier. Is we're perpetually just thinking over and over again. That obsession is what causes people to be upset, or to be sad, or even could cause the anxiety to mm-hmm. to the extreme thing. And then for us to be able to have practices. That you enjoy doing by、mm-hmm. reading, focus on something else, but exercising. So now my mind is calming. I'm just focusing on that breathing, my training, my heart rate, shooting a target. So then life become more diversified. It's more in tone, aligning with what you wanted out of this whole picture. And、uh, that lead into our holistic life assessment. Doctor、uh, McGillary indicated that he like to、uh, work on more. It's his Life mission, and I created this ten pillar holistic life assessment because、mm-hmm. life is so intertwining to so many different areas. And even though we might be good at some of them, we also can be good at all of them. We can be productive, and productivity actually really just means satisfaction.、It、doesn't mean we have to do a whole lot. It's all about quality of how we. Serve ourselves and serve other people, and knowing who we are and who we want to be. Awesome! So we're gonna share Dr. McGillar's result with you guys. Okay, so looking at the holistic life assessment, and we can see that、uh, majority of his pillars is really good, all above eight, and his best ones are personal character, which is at nine point six, and his career achievement at nine point seven. Life mission, one of the things he want to focus on is actually nine point five. Another one is、uh, love and relationship. Uh, with family, it's at nine. So in general, anything that surprises you, jump out to you, or is pretty much what you expected.、Uh, well, I don't. I didn't really know what to expect. Actually, I just <laughs> tried to answer the questions as honestly as I could. I like my life, like who I am. I like what I do, and I try to work very hard at doing things that I do well, whether that's. My work life, my family life, my social life, and I also think too that no matter how well I think I'm doing something, I think I can always do it better. It gives me something to strive on. You know, it's, even though I, I'm, I'm not a competitive athlete anymore, but I can't help it when I get on the elliptical trainer. I kind of turn my Apple Watch on. And I want to <laughs>、yeah. see, you know, how, how fast I go or how high I can get my heart rate. Yeah. And at the end of it, I always try to think of myself: Well, geez, next time I can do a little faster, or go a little farther, or have my heart rate beat faster without it fibrillating. But、uh, <laughs> and so for me, anyway, I've found that to be an effective strategy. I guess one way to look at it is being never satisfied. That can be a double-edged sword. So certainly in my professional life, it, I use that to help drive me to get. Better. It can make me a pain in the neck, though, to be around because I, I also expect that from other people. Because I do think that how we take care of patients, that we should always strive to be our very best. And the nature of how we do it is, it's 
there are flaws in it, so we can always try to do better to get that better. Yeah. But in my personal life, same thing too. You know, I, I uh, try to be the best husband I can be, try to be the best father I can be, try to be the best friend that I can be. But there's certainly a lot of opportunity for making that better too. And I think just the act of trying to be better at it makes you better at it. Right. I'm not sure if you or the audience have heard Grit, the book. Yeah, um, yeah I read it. Yeah, it's great read book. It. yeah. So when Dr. Angela Duckwood said it's a talent and it's something you develop. So you actually set intentionally having a stretch goal, and then set intentional act to support yourself. Once you reach that stretch goal, you're gonna set another stretch goal. So actually, it's not to say we're not satisfied. We're just simply continuously reaching the next higher level. So life it become emotion. We won't ever feel stagnant. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good life philosophy. Yes, another way to say it is records are made to be broken, right? Yeah. You just keep moving forward and trying to do a better job. Yeah, awesome. And um, before we end today's session, I always end with this question. So, Dr. McGillery, what are the three words that you wanted to hold yourself to be for the best person you wanted to show up as mm -hmm. in the next week? It, the words can be adjective, nouns, anything that you see that fit who you want to be. Yeah, so I, I would say that uh, qualities that I or words that I would like to say describe me, would hope describe me, is perseverance. That by by working really hard and sticking to the task, that you can be successful. I find perseverance to be very important. The second one would be integrity. I think that being honest with other people, being honest with yourself. It's always easy to be honest when it's easy. It's mm -hmm. trying to be honest with yourself when things are hard. Right. Uh, and uh, I guess the last thing would be, uh, and the hardest probably is joy, you know, trying to find the joy in things. And that uh, I think that in this day and age, it is something that we should all strive for. I know I try to, but should be one of the most important things oftentimes gets relegated to a little lower on the list. So to so find joy in your work, find joy in your personal life, find joy in your recreational life, social life. I guess those three things. Yeah, awesome. So you wanted to bring joy into every moment of life, really create that balance. Well, find the joy, yeah. yeah. You know, the, you know, I think that uh, to look for and try to find the joy. Okay, awesome. And then on the flip side, do you think you can also bring the joy to the moment? Yeah, I think so. And, and that, for me, I would say that's a great challenge because, you know, it's a, the intensity of my personality, I think sometimes is, might disguise the joy that I'm feeling and trying to get. So sometimes, you know, what I try to do, what I can is to bring humor to it, to right. try to use that as a break down that, that wall of intensity. All right. Thank you, guys. In conclusion, um, that Dr. McGillory has many years of experience as cardiothoracic surgeon and specialized in many different fields and have taught many people in both Boston and then bringing up the energy here in Houston. And his way of uh, really become the better person and also as a leader, as a professional, is to be able to have open communication, trying to understand and connect with your patients, their family, plus your team to work more cohesively. And then we also learned that he finds stress release by doing 
things he loved, things that will take his mind off, so he can be more connected to his thoughts by exercise, by shooting plays, by reading, by spending time with family and friends, drawing、yes. energy naturally. And then ultimately, he wants it to be perseverance, having integrity, and also find joy and bring joy to the situation, despite that sometimes other people don't see it. <laughs> and so he will cut through that with humor, which is great tip for most of us. Is that actually we all love to laugh, we all like to have a good time in life. Well, in some way, I'm searching for joy if we couldn't even bring it ourselves. So hopefully you guys have learned something great, and thank you for joining us tonight. And have a good day. Thank you. Bye. All right, my friend. How did you love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to our show so you can continue to build your positive intelligence for that beautiful mind of yours to live powerfully and passionate. I know this just. The tip of the iceberg. You probably have a lot more question on actually how do I implement those things into my own life. Well, this is the solution. Joining us inside the private Facebook group. Go to facebook.com/groups/powerfulpassionate, where I go live weekly to answer any questions that you have. And continue to put more resources for you to help you to get to that point. You can be both powerful and passionate, where you no longer working on any mundane work, and truly focusing on the things that matter. You can be both powerful and passionate, where you can overcome any mental roadblocks keeping you from success. You can be both powerful and passionate, where you feel energized from the moment you woke up to the time you go to bed. Join me, and together we can create a life where you can be both powerful and passionate.